When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Blackout. We have put the first half of the college football season in the books. We're coming to you from bellyupsports.com. This week, it's a week eight ATS pick'em pod. He is Alan Denton. I'm Thomas Black. Alan, welcome back in. How are you doing this week? Well, man, my voice is recovering from being at the Tennessee A&M game on Saturday. So if I sound like a seventh grade boy, that's the reason with my voice cracking. <laughs> I was yelling at Max Johnson to suck, <laughs> basically, <laughs> for, for a lot of that game. <laughs> well, you may have lost something of your voice. You've recovered a little bit. You got through something of an ugly football game. What are your thoughts on your Ooh. volunteers coming off of week seven? Golly, it's amazing how different from year to year teams can look. I mean, this is like the antithesis of what last year's team looked like with the best offense in the nation. I don't know how nice this is, but I said that old Big Joe, he's a slower processor than Mitch McConnell is. (laughs) 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 Yeah, he has more gaffes and everything than that. But the defense is awesome. James Pierce is one year away from making millions and millions of dollars as a top 10 pick in the NFL. Well, I'm glad it was a win for you at the very least. I mean, it didn't have a huge effect on me. And of course, in the pick'em slate, I happen to be on Tennessee. So I was cheering for the Vols in some sense or another, even though they aren't my team, even though I don't really have any sense of liking toward the volunteers throughout my lifetime at all. But it worked out well for you and me, so glad it worked out and glad you got to see your volunteers pick up another win on the season. So as we look at the ATS Pick'em, let's go ahead and look at the leaderboard where we have William atop everybody with 42 wins, still hitting at 60% on the season. He leads the way for the $175 for the top winner in this year's regular season Pick'em. In second place, we have, because of a tiebreaker, Tonio with 40 wins, and he is leading the way for $75. And then in third place, defaulting there because of tiebreakers, is Trevor, who is leading the way for $25. So, Alan, once again, very impressive play. We keep on seeing these percentages, though, for winning picks in the ATS Pick'em, at least over the last couple of weeks, start to trend down a little bit. Only one person at 60%, still very impressive play, but this is more in line with what happened a year ago as we saw very few people end up over 500 at the end of the season. Yeah, very much so. The picks keep getting tougher and tougher, And it it was only a matter of time before the regression back to the mean began to happen, you know? 
Very much so. Now, you regressed a little bit to the mean this past week after a very impressive week six. In week seven, you went five and five. You dropped to 19th in the standings from 17th. You're sitting at 34 and 35 in your ATS picks all season. So, Alan, what are your thoughts looking back on the week that was, looking back on your locks and everything that went down on Saturday? Well, looking back at the locks, one good, one horrendously bad. Uh, one of our longtime listeners, Will Taylor, who listens from overseas, he was like, man, you couldn't have gotten that Georgia Southern game more wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you aren't kidding, buddy, because James Madison just throttled them from the get-go. That was just awful, and they never recovered. I mean, before you could blink, it was 14 to nothing. Georgia Southern's defense decided basically not to travel, and they just couldn't consistently put things together on offense. That was a horrible pick to start the day. But the late pick, the Oregon State pick, was money. They were clearly the better team against UCLA. I mean, I tell you, DJU and Fenwick, that team is really good. So one and one in my locks. The one game that I feel like I was really right on that kind of stinks that they didn't land is Oregon. I had them at plus two and a half and they should have won that game. If Dan Lanning wasn't a total doofus at the end of the first half, that game I think plays out totally differently there at the end. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you that, you know, a tightly contested game back and forth. If a couple of decisions are made differently, Oregon probably does win that game. You know, they went with the ultra, ultra aggressive style in the game and it just kind of happened to backfire every time they did it. And it gave Washington just enough opportunity to hang around in the second half when they looked like they were losing control of the game. Then they got the ball back, the opportunity to take the lead. They took advantage of it, and then they held up you know, with that final possession. So tremendous game. Such a fun one to watch. But I do think that if you break down that game by the nooks and crannies, the turns it took throughout, I think Oregon was slightly the better side, even though I, along with some other people, came away with the win with Washington minus the points. Yeah, but, I mean, hey, give credit to Washington. That might have been the game of the year thus far, especially as far as just the style and beauty of it. You know, that Notre Dame-Ohio State game a few weeks ago was pretty incredible, but it was ugly. It was a slugfest of a game. This was high-flying. You got two pros at quarterback and just lots of speed. So it was really dramatic. And because Neyland Stadium now has Wi-Fi, I was able to watch a good bit of it, which was super nice. (laughs) Very, very nice. I have experienced Wi-Fi in a college football stadium before with 80-plus thousand people, and it didn't work so hot. So more fortune to you (laughs) if you get set up and it actually works for you. Yeah, it did, which I was amazed by. (laughs) Very, very nice. I would love to experience that one day with much better accommodations working for the patrons inside the stand. So on my ATS side, I went four and six a week ago, back-to-back weeks now under 500. I've got to get it fixed. I paid the price. I dropped to 16th in the standings from 10th place a week ago. I'm now 35 and 35 in the ATS. After five really strong weeks starting off and being right up at the top of the leaderboard, now I am kind of back in the grouping of people that I still have a legitimate shot, but I've got to do some really, really good work in the weeks ahead, moving into the second half of the season. My ATS locks looked very much like my overall record did. I went 0-2 there with Kansas minus 3.5 points at Oklahoma State and Miami plus 3.5 points at North Carolina. But Alan, I will tell you, 
Coming away from these games, even with a loss in both, I feel pretty good about my analysis of the matchup, my pick. It's not necessarily that I believe that I deserve a win in both of them, but easily, easily these games I think were very close to flipping to the other side, and I could have gone 2-0 in these picks. When you look at Kansas, they led 32-24 with a little over 11 minutes to go in the third quarter, and then on consecutive drives, they had interception, interception, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, while they were forcing Oklahoma State to kick field goals, and they had opportunities to put this game away, and their offense all of a sudden just died. So, I mean, more credit to Oklahoma State. If you were on them, you get the win, so be it. But Kansas dominated Oklahoma State through the middle portion of this game, and then they just kind of let the game slip away. And then when it comes to the Miami pick, this is a team that was up 17-14 to 14 at the half. They outgained North Carolina by over 100 yards in the first half. And if it wasn't for their first long drive where they got right down to the goal line and then fumbled the ball away, if they had gotten a touchdown like most teams would in that scenario, Miami very likely leads the game at halftime 24-14. And I'm not guaranteeing that Miami would have won this game because North Carolina really turned it on in the second half. But when I lost this game at Miami plus three and a half points and they lose by 10 and they had that opportunity in the first half and then late in the game, they were driving again to try and cut the lead to three and get another opportunity with an onside kick. There were multiple opportunities for Miami to not only cover but be right in this game and have a chance to win it if things have played out just a little bit more in their favor. So I really do think I had a good read on how these games are going to flow, especially through about two-thirds of the Kansas-Oklahoma State game and through at least a half, if not a little bit more, of the Miami game. It's just enough things went against me that ultimately I got the picks wrong. And credit to everybody who got them right, but I really do not believe I had a bad read on either of these games, even with losses on both of them. That freaking Kansas game is so frustrating, isn't it? Jason Bean had played such a great game, and then all of a sudden, just two awful, awful, awful plays that in many ways gave Oklahoma State the chance that they did. I agree. Obviously, I had Kansas, and I also had Miami in the same way that you did on the ATS side. And those were my two games that on the confidence side that I talked about as well. And you know what? That's always frustrating when almost stupidity costs you. That's just how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And I mean, you do have to give a good amount of credit to North Carolina because they got stops in the yeah. second half. And Drake May really got on all cylinders when it comes to the passing game. And Tez Walker came in and was absolutely yeah. tremendous for North Carolina. So sure does. definitely an upgrade to the passing game there. And North Carolina, a team that you certainly have to watch out for. But I do just believe there was a lot in that game that went exactly how I thought it was going to go. And then just enough did turn against me. So that happens sometimes. And I'll live with it. But I do not feel bad about either of those picks that I laid out. I really think in a lot of scenarios, I could have had those play out in my favor and I could have gotten wins. It's just I got the bad outcomes this past weekend. If you look back at our third partner, Zane, who's been working with us, he went 7-3 and three against the spread this past week. He jumped up into 18th place from 23rd. He's now 34-36 and 36 in the ATS on the season. So we are all kind of in that same category. He went 1-1 one and one with his ATS locks, hitting on Notre Dame minus 2.5 points against Southern Cal. 
and losing with Kentucky minus two and a half points versus Missouri. If you'd like to see his picks and hear him when he's on the show occasionally, you can also just get his written picks on the weekly emails we send out. If you're a team captain on Patreon, that's just $5 a month. And we pour that money back into the show so we get bigger and bigger prizes each and every year. So jump on board. We're going to throw some perks at you, Some definitely some good things. Alan, if you're ready for it, let's go ahead and dive into some ATS locks. And you, sir, can take us away because you had the better week a week ago. And we'll see if I can break that trend because you're running on a little streak right now. I've got to catch you. Hey, we're going streaking. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's do it. I'm jumping in with the team that went with a couple weeks ago and they paid off and went against them early in the year against Missouri. And that paid off as well because Missouri turned out to be a really good team that I even rode this past week in beating Kentucky. And that's the Memphis Tigers. They traveled to a UAB team that would you describe them as volatile? maybe because their coach is kind of crazy. He's obviously very well known. He even coached at Lipscomb Academy here in Nashville last year, but this is not a UAB team that is all that good in really any way, shape or form. And it's a Memphis team that has proven themselves. I think even against Tulane to be formidable, they lost last week at home to Tulane and Tulane Alongside Air Force, I think are probably the top two group of five teams in all of FBS. But when you look at UAB, they have to have one of the worst defenses in FBS. They allow 430 yards per game and over 200 yards, both passing allowed and rushing allowed. And that's a bad, bad thing, in my opinion, for a Memphis team that can both throw the ball and run the ball. So I think ultimately Memphis being able to slow down what UAB has is a pretty good offensive team and a decent defensive team. I just think that Memphis, even at minus five and a half, I think they win this game probably by double digits, like 10, 13, not like a blowout. But when you look at UAB's schedule, they're two and five. They traveled to UTSA this past week and got whipped. They beat UCF in a weird game. And then even originally at home, one of their opening games, they lost to the Louisiana team that we have to pick again. I just don't think they're all that good. I like the explosiveness of this Memphis team, and they're a couple plays away from beating a really good two-lane team. That's fair enough. I am not going to argue strongly against you. I have Memphis picked minus the five-and-a-half points on my board as well. And I'm not so certain with it that I'm going to guarantee that I'm going to have that picked that way on Saturday, but I do feel pretty good about it. I think that Memphis is a pretty solid team, like you said. I think offensively, led by Sam Hennigan at quarterback, he's been pretty good. I think the offense has been better than I expected, and their defense is okay. I don't know if I'm going to say they're great. They tend to give up a decent number of rushing yards, but UAB is not that good in that area. They have been throwing the ball a lot with Jacob Zeno, the former Baylor quarterback, and they throw the ball a ton. And the reason I didn't lock this game up is because the line's a little bit big compared to some of our other ones. And when I look at how these games played out with UAB, sure, they've lost a lot, but I think they've maybe been more competitive in several games than the scores kind of indicate. So... 
they found ways to lose, and they found ways to lose and make margins comfortable for their opponents. And I think all of that helps out the argument for Memphis. And I think Memphis has been pretty consistent. So I agree with you. I think Memphis is probably the play here, but I'm a little concerned about UAB and just the fact that I think they've been more competitive than the scores indicate, but you are absolutely right. Their defense has been bad. And if Memphis was a good running team offensively, I would feel a whole lot better about jumping on the Memphis bandwagon because UAB gives up, like you said, over 200 yards on the ground a game. It's just Memphis really hasn't run the ball all that well. They're a passing team as well. So if they can find some success on the ground game, it could be a big, big day for this offense. And if that happens, I really like the odds that Memphis covers this line. So I will probably be on the same side. I'll give you uh, credit with it but it's one that wasn't as close to a lock for me. I think that's totally fair. This is a week with so many group of five games that it's a little difficult. I mean, even group of five teams that we've seen several times, it's just a weird mix of them this week. So at least Memphis is a team that I trust in some form or fashion. You know, when what percentage of our board comes from that, like 40%? This is a line at five and a half where I feel at least comfortable that I think they're at least a touchdown better than UAB. So that's why I'm locking them up. Well, we've talked about it an awful lot this season. You and I have identified how ESPN has continually changed these competitions. I'd say ESPN, even though our pick'em's over on CBS Sports, but we draw our matchups from our pick'em over on ESPN because they dictate the games to us. But how much has this competition changed and these selections changed to make this thing harder when we have a matchup like Memphis and UAB on our pick'em board that you just picked and we don't have Tennessee-Alabama? So we've got one mega game in the state of I'll say Tennessee, even though it's at Alabama. We've got one mega game in the SEC, and it's not a massive spread, but we've talked about how the spreads are dictating this a lot. And we opted for leaving off one of the biggest games of the SEC slate, one of the biggest games of the weekend this weekend in Alabama-Tennessee, because, hey, Tennessee isn't as impressive as they've looked. Alabama's favored by a fairly large number compared to a lot of these games, and instead we're getting these group of five matchups. So it has made this competition on both sides, the ATS and the confidence pick them on ESPN, certainly much, much harder. And it's something just to pay attention to because we're going to continue to see this, I feel certain, week after week after week, probably year after year. We'll see if they ever transform this thing kind of back to the way it was. But it does make these competitions an awful lot harder, especially on the confidence side. Very much so. I totally agree. All right, Alan, with my first ATS lock of week eight, I am going back to a team we have addressed multiple times, and I am looking to make a principal play this week. I'm going to the Big Ten where we have the Minnesota Golden Gophers plus four and a half points at the Iowa Hawkeyes. When we look at this one, Alan, I'm talking about the fact that we've picked Iowa a couple of times now. (laughs) I've won them with a lock on my side against Iowa State. You've won them with a lock against Purdue. It has been a controversial team that we've picked. And as we look at this one this week, I am going to recall things back to our week six selections of the Purdue game at Iowa. Now, you locked up the Hawkeyes and won that pick with a win 20-14 to when they were favored by two and a half points. I did not give out a play, at least as far as a lock, on that game, though I was on the side of Purdue, and I gave out a confidence value pick for the upset with the Purdue Boilermakers. Now, I got that wrong. I lost the points on the confidence pick I lost the pick on the ATS side. 
But when I look back at that game, Purdue outgained Iowa by over 50 yards. They went 0 for 2 on fourth down, and they lost a turnover battle 2 to 1. And they gave up a 67-yard touchdown run to Caleb Johnson against an offense that is not explosive. And on top of that, one of their turnovers and interception led to a field goal on a four-play negative four-yard drive. So three more points that Iowa did not earn at all in that game. So when you look at Iowa more specifically on offense, newsflash, if you haven't heard, Deacon Hill is still the quarterback and he still stinks. He's completing only 38% of his passes on the season. And since he has become the main quarterback in place of Cade McNamara, This is what he's done. Against Michigan State, he went 11 of 27 for 115 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Against Purdue, he went 6 of 21 for 110 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And at Wisconsin this past week, he went 6 of 14 for 37 yards. On top of that, think about what has happened to this Iowa offense. This past week, Eric All, their star tight end, went down with an ACL tear. He had 21 receptions for about 300 yards and three touchdowns as the main target all season. Earlier this year, their other star tight end, Luke Lackey, went down with an ankle injury. He's done for the season because he had to have surgery. He had 10 receptions for 131 yards. So now, Allen, the leading active receiver for Iowa, finally we get to a wide receiver, is Nico Regani, who has an astounding 10 receptions for 83 yards. That is a season total, not a game total. And then you look at the running backs where you have LaShawn Williams, who's been pretty solid. He has about 450 yards on the season. He's averaging 6.1 yards per carry. But you look at Caleb Williams, who I mentioned got the 67-yard touchdown run against Purdue. He's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry. This offense has no weapons. Deacon Hill stinks. You look at Minnesota, their offense kind of stinks too. Ethan Kaliak manis is only completing about 56% of his passes. He's thrown six touchdowns, six interceptions. But what Minnesota does offer is they have a little bit going in the passing game. Denzel Jackson at wide receiver has nearly 300 yards. He's averaging 13 yards a catch and has five touchdowns. Corey Crooms has a little over 225 yards receiving. It's just like some decent weapons on the outside. Something Iowa certainly does not have. And then when you look at the injury front, freshman running back Darius Taylor is possibly maybe even likely going to come back this week at one time he was leading the big 10 in rushing and their starting linebacker Cody Lindenberg is likely also kind of question mark coming back this week so when you look at this game and you have a four and a half point line with two offenses that I think absolutely stink but I think Minnesota has the slightly better offense and when Iowa has such a lack of weapons but maybe the better defense I'm thinking the first team to score might win. Maybe it's the first team to 10 points might win. I don't really care, but I think there's a chance we could see something like a 3-0 win for Iowa on their home field. But whatever the case may be, when I have a spread as big as 4.5 points and I've got two offenses that are as hideous as both of these are, I am absolutely locking up Minnesota plus 4.5 points this week. I might miss it. It's on the home field of Iowa. They do crazy things all the time. We talk about this. But it's a principal play for me with two offenses this hideous, and I'm getting more than a field goal. I'm getting four and a half points. I'm absolutely putting them on Minnesota this week. I don't blame you at all. I want no part of this game. I wish it weren't on the board. Might be the ugliest football game in the history of humanity. I just really don't know 
what to do with this, but mentioning the fact that it's a four and a half point spread, this feels like a three point game. I totally agree. 14 to 10, 13 to 10. I feel like that's the kind of game that's going to be. So most likely I'm going to be on the gopher side as well, but they could block a punt. And also <laughs> they could score a touchdown on an interception return. And then, you know, dink their way into a field goal and win this 17 to 10. And I wouldn't be surprised either. And that's what makes this game pretty much impossible to get a read on. Hey, that's fair. But all those things that could happen, I agree with you. They absolutely could happen, but I'm not betting on a single one of them to happen because Iowa somehow finds a way to make them happen almost every game of the season. But when I'm analyzing which team's better, I can't identify which of these teams better. And I'm catching four and a half points with the underdog. I'll absolutely take it because I think Minnesota could find a way to win this game on the road. I don't think it's very likely. But with the margins as small as you're talking about in this game, and I did a little bit more research. You find Minnesota, their defense has picked off eight passes this season. Iowa's defense has picked off eight passes too. So I know Iowa seems to find the ways to score with its defense more often than everybody else. But Minnesota's generating turnovers in a similar fashion. And when you've got ugly quarterback play coming on both sides, I kind of figure both of these guys are probably likely to throw a pick at some point. And I just hope I don't end up on the end where Iowa returns one for six points. And maybe Minnesota is lucky enough to do the same. But some other stuff I looked at, Alan, this is crazy. We've got an over-under in this game of 32.5 points. If you split that in half and then divide up your four-and-a-half-point line – The projected kind of score for this game coming from Vegas right now would be Iowa 18.5 points to 14 for Minnesota. And is there any way in my mind that Iowa, outside of crazy circumstances like you're talking about with like punt returns, scoops and scores, pick sixes, anything like that, is there any way they're scoring more than 17 points in this game? I don't think so. And I think we easily could see, like I said, maybe first team to 10 points wins. And if the scoring is as low as I think it will be, I think that absolutely favors Minnesota. If the scoring happens to go up and we somehow get over that total, then I think I was probably going to find a way to cover because they're on their home field. But there's no way I'm letting this slide by without taking four and a half points with the underdog in this matchup. Doesn't it feel like this game deserves a blizzard? Like this is the type of game that I picture there being like four feet of snow and they move like three inches at a time. And it's just amazing to watch. That would be the only reason I would ever watch this football game is if that were to happen. But yeah, I'm kind of with you there with, I think it's a really compelling case for Minnesota, just to be honest with you. The other thing that I would point to for the listeners out there is if you follow the live line, sure, we have four and a half points over on CBS Sports, but the live line on this game has dropped to Iowa minus three and a half. And I don't know if that is a response to the Eric All injury, because I do think that's significant, or I don't know if that's people jumping on Minnesota with the same thoughts that I'm having. I don't really care. But either way, it's just kind of an indication of where this game's sliding anyway. And maybe we get to Saturday and maybe it's bumped back up. And maybe the people with the big money who put out the big money late in the week with the smart money, as you would say, 
end up on Iowa minus the points, and maybe I didn't see something right in this game. But I just don't see any way, any reason I should take anything but Minnesota when, again, this game's going to be ugly. It's going to be hideous. There's going to be so few points scored that I just don't think it makes any sense to be taking minus four and a half points when Iowa could get shut out just as easily as I think Minnesota could. Yeah, there's a chance that there are more punts in this game than points. So that may be the greatest stat of all. And I really hope that that's the case. I may look back next week just to see. And yeah, it's going to be ugly. All right, Alan, where are you going for your second ATS lock this week? All right, man, let's go to the good Reverend Hugh Freeze Bowl. Okay. You've got (laughs) Hugh Freeze's former prostitute, Noel Miss. And his new side chick, the Auburn Tigers. And this is an interesting, interesting matchup, purely for entertainment value. But if you look at the line, to me, it's a very convenient line. Ole Miss is a six and a half point favorite. And when you look at what Auburn has gotten done the past few weeks, it ain't been great. Let's just be honest. They've lost at AM 27 to 10. Then they played really well against Georgia and maybe one of the just most mediocre games Georgia's played in the past couple of years. But they still lost by seven. And then they went to LSU last week and got absolutely throttled against an LSU team that can score with just about anybody. But you know who they couldn't beat in their scoring was this very Ole Miss team. And this is an Ole Miss team that can throw the ball and run the ball very effectively. Their defense isn't all that great, but they don't necessarily have to be because Auburn really doesn't threaten you through the air. If you can stop the run, which Ole Miss is able to do to a decent extent, then you know what? You're at a huge, huge advantage against Auburn because Peyton Thorne is just in the kindest way possible is a trash compactor, just not very good at all and just smashes hope down for the Tigers every single week. I think they're pretty incompetent. They're not able to complete the forward pass in the way that a team needs to, especially with Ole Miss coming off of a bye week. And you know Lane wants this game so bad. So with it being less than a touchdown on that line, I think Ole Miss absolutely is a touchdown better. So I'm locking up the Rebels at minus six and a half. I like the picture you're painting. And this is another one that I am leaning the same direction. And I think I'll probably be on Ole Miss minus six and a half points. It's just when I look at Auburn and the fact that they – have kind of uglied up some games and have been closer than I expected they would a couple of times. You're right, they've been blown out too. I just think that there is some way that Hugh Freeze could figure out a way to keep this thing close. And I'm not sure that he actually does it, but it's an Auburn team that does like running the ball an awful lot. Like you said, I'm not overly impressed with the Ole Miss defense. So I think Auburn could find some success there, but you're right if – Ole Miss can find a way to slow down the run. It certainly is a huge advantage for them. Peyton Thorne, Robbie Ashford are running this kind of dual threat system for Auburn. They get an awful lot of opportunities running the ball. You've got talented running backs, Jarquez Hunter in particular. But when you look statistically at what Auburn's done, 
Peyton Thorne, Jarquez Hunter, Robbie Ashford, all their kind of top guys running the ball on a regular basis, all averaging less than five yards per carry. It hasn't been overly impressive. They just run a lot. So it's a high volume type running game, not necessarily a high efficiency thing. And I worry about this game being kind of ugly and kind of close and kind of tight. The fact that we have it at Auburn is a little bit of a concern to me, but I do certainly believe that Ole Miss is a better football team. So I think I'm probably on the same side as you. I just am not absolutely certain of it here on Tuesday night. Yeah, I totally get that. But my wife's an Ole Miss fan, and she threatened me if I didn't pick this as a lock this week. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. But, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think Jackson Dart has improved a great deal. And if they were a one-dimensional team, then I would hesitate. But they are not a one-dimensional team. They can run the football as well, including Jackson Dart himself. I just think there's going to be too much for him. I think this ends up being like a 31-14, to 31-17 type of game. I like it. Alan, I am impressed with your ability with your first ATS lock to go to the group of five. And I think with my second ATS lock, I will kind of follow in that same line of thinking. As I look at another group of five matchup, this time we go down to Florida and look at UTSA visiting Florida Atlantic. And this is a kind of funky, weird matchup of three and three kind of average football teams. You know, we've talked a lot about UTSA on this podcast in recent years because of the high-flying offense, the experience of Frank Harris, and all of those things. But it's been an underwhelming start for the Roadrunners, I'll be honest. When we look at Florida Atlantic, you can kind of say some of the same things. Daniel Richardson at quarterback has taken over for Casey Thompson, who was injured earlier this season. He's completing about two-thirds of his passes for only 6.1 yards per attempt for five touchdowns and four interceptions. Get this, they have the top pass catcher in the entire country when you go by number of receptions. LeJonte Wester has 62 receptions through six games, averaging more than 10 a game. But when I look at the yards he's picking up, he is 622 on the season. That's only like top 15. And what I realize when I see that he has 62 receptions leading the country and he's only top 15 in yardage, it tells me that this is not really that explosive of an offense. FAU goes to one guy, and they go to him really, really often. And I don't believe UTSA has the defense to necessarily stop him, but this is not really that explosive of an offense when you're talking about the Owls anyway. They've got a couple other guys who are decent in their backfield with running backs Larry McCammon, who's averaging 5.5 yards a carry, and Kobe Lewis, who's averaging 5.7 yards a carry. So I think they're going to find a way to probably move the ball and probably score some points. But when you look at UTSA, Frank Harris, who's been dealing with turf toe through a couple of games this season and has missed some time, has been back for a couple games now. And he's only thrown seven touchdowns to three interceptions. But if we rewind all the way back to week one, he threw all three of those picks in that game against Houston in the loss. Otherwise, this team is pretty solid with its weapons. Joshua Cephas has 45 receptions on the season, only averaging about 9.8 yards per reception. And then Tyke Ogle-Kellogg and Devin McEwen are kind of the bigger play guys that get involved a little bit more downfield. They're solid. Kavorian Barnes is back at running back, a guy that I've talked about frequently on this podcast for the last season and a half. 
but he's been kind of average. He's only averaging 4.4 yards a carry. But then in the last few weeks, Robert Henry, a 5'10", 190-pound running back, has come in and has 7.1 yards per carry on the season. Again, the last three games, he's really gotten involved. So, Alan, when I see this UTSA team go on the road, I'm not immensely confident in this pick, but I think this team has the experience, the talent, and enough playmakers defensively to maybe slow down FAU that I like UTSA minus the three and a half points. It's not like I'm absolutely in love with this pick and would be hammering it with an awful lot of money if I was a gambler myself, but I do feel good about the odds that UTSA goes down and is at least a touchdown better than FAU. I think there's a chance they're even better than that. And I could run some risk of seeing an upset or seeing this game fall with UTSA only winning by three points. But I think they go and win this game pretty regularly with the experience they have and the fact that they've played some really, I think, much more difficult competition so far this season than FAU has. So I'm locking it up with UTSA minus three and a half. And looking at this, I felt pretty comfortable being on that same side. You know, it just, when you look at Frank Harris, He's come back and, as you mentioned, has been significantly more efficient than he was to start out the year. It feels like their team's really starting to move forward now with him and Josh Cephas and just the collective talent. They had a really tough start to the year that kind of culminated in my balls beating them pretty dang good. But they're turning the corner now. I very much favor UTSA in this one as well. I like it. Alan, as we close out the ATS Pick'em pod, you've had a couple of weeks where you've done really well in the ATS Pick'em. I've now been in a stretch where I've gone 0 for 4 in my last two weeks. That's after a two-week stretch where I went 4-0 and 0 in my ATS lock. So I'm hoping that I have some things recalibrated and we figure this thing out but it is as we turn to the second half of the season in the pick'em competition certainly a week where if you hit some plays you could certainly climb the leaderboard and put yourself in a position where you make a stretch run late in the season so I know you've been trending in the right direction I've been trending a little bit in the bad direction but I think we're still both in a position where we are absolutely in play in this thing and a good week here in week eight could really turn things in our favor to where we are really well positioned to make a good run late in the season. Exactly. The late run starts now. All right. Alan and I have finished up another ATS Pick'em Pod here for week eight. So it is time to go off and record a confidence Pick'em Pod over on Patreon where we keep that episode exclusive for our walk-ons, our team captains, and beyond. So if you would like to be a part of that conversation, all it takes is $2.50 a month at the very least to be able to listen to those episodes. And if you are ever in a spot where you think, man, I just don't have the time to listen to two of these episodes every single week. I know we get these out kind of midweek or later, and that takes some time and dedication to keep up with what we're doing. But what Alan and I do each and every week on the Confidence Pick'em Pod is right before we give out our picks over there, we give out our ATS locks. So if you can't listen to this episode or you can't listen to both, you could opt for just the one and get all of our picks over there. And I'll just throw out a bonus nugget. Alan and I have already talked about four of the 10 games on the Pick'em Slate this week. And when we go over to the Confidence Pick'em Pod, I'm not sure what Alan's picks are, but I can guarantee you, you will hear a conversation this week that carries you through at the very least two more matchups from our 10 games because mine do not align with anything Alan has said. They don't align with anything that I have said. So that's at least six games of coverage you're going to get with this week's Confidence Pick'em Pod. So Alan, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait to hear more conversation and we'll see where we go from here, both on the ATS side and on the confidence side. Yeah. And here's the deal. 
I'm not talking about either of the games that I've talked about here as well. So it's very much worthwhile. So yeah, I think it's going to be pretty cool. I would not be surprised if that's the case. We're down to six possible matchups that we can be talking about. And for both off the ones we've already talked about, I would not be surprised if we have overlap with at least one of them. So we'll see. So we might be talking about two. We might be talking about three. We might be talking about four more games. We'll see. But Alan, it's going to be fun regardless. Can't wait to have that conversation and see where you're headed with your confidence pick and board. And I'll be giving out my confidence value picks as well and hopefully turn those in a much, much better direction. Alan, can't wait for it, sir. Yes, sir. See you on the other side. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.